Well, you know, uh, last week I told you I had a little bit of an encounter with the Lord. I asked the Lord what he wanted me to share with you guys, and that song came on by Hillary Scott, Thy Will, and it really touched me. And um, I didn't think that I had a part two to that, but I started seeking the Lord again, and I really felt like he's not finished telling us <laughs> what he wanted to say. And, you know, I'm not going to play the song again. I'm not going to repeat last week's sermon, but basically the, the song is she had gone through some things. She had faced some things she didn't understand. But at the end of it, just like Jesus did right before the cross, he said four words, thy will be done. And that's what God's looking for in us. He's looking for people who will be willing and obedient. It's so simple. That's it. We just, he doesn't need perfect people. All he needs is willing and obedient people. And you know, God's specialty is taking the weak things of the world, right? He takes the things that are inadequate, that are unqualified, that don't have what it takes, that have been through hell itself, and he takes those things and makes it something great. Why? Because then he gets the glory, not the man or the woman doing the job. They're just a vessel. We're just the messengers. So I'm right in that group. I feel just like the rest of those in the word that felt like, I don't know, God. I don't know why me. I don't know why I you know, why me, this job, et cetera, all these things. But what I will do with the men and women of God in this word that fulfilled the plan, that, was, that they, they did what God asked them to do, they just said one thing, though, yes. You find in the word this very simple picture. It's really two groups of people in the Bible. There's the group of people that could look at the world, see God's greatness, they even saw miracles, things that we haven't seen. They saw amazing things, and they decided that their will was more important than God's, that they had it figured out more than he did, and disobeyed him, and it brought pain and suffering and death in their lives. And then you see this other group of people that lived in the same world, and they chose to follow God's will, and they still saw pain and suffering, and death. But what you find is that you couldn't rob their joy. You couldn't crush them enough. You couldn't take away enough from them that they wouldn't with their last breath still, I'm going to praise you, God. And we know that whether it's on this side or the next, that God sees it all. Every single thing we do and we don't, every decision we make, every time that we've done something for someone or we were selfish, he sees it all. And we know that as we walk with him and as we keep trusting in him and keep making the things right that we have made wrong, and we keep believing in him and he'll give us the strategies and he corrects relationships and he'll correct those mistakes. And when we cross over, just saying yes, not being perfect, but being willing and obedient, the Bible promises a reward that really can't be described in words. And so you find this story through the whole word. 
including Jesus himself, the Son of God, faced this exact same thing. And that's why it says, as I read last week, it says that he was just like us. He faced it all. In order to be our high priest, he had to go through what we go through. And that's what the Bible says he did. And that's why he, then when he took our sins, it was justified because he faced the same issues, the same battles, the same struggles. He lived in the same world with the same pains as we do. But he came through saying yes to God, even through tremendous stress to the point of bleeding through his sweat. But he still said yes. And you find this story, like I said, many, many times, but I was led to this one in particular. It's a man named Gideon, and you can find his story in the book of Judges, and it starts in chapter 6 and goes through chapter 9. Even in his life, there's some ups and downs. There's a lot you could preach for weeks on on this three chapters. Uh, My plan is just today, I'm going to look at chapters 6 and 7 today. Um, And you find a man who is just like you and I. You find a time just like the time we're in. And it starts in in Judges chapter 6. And it says in verse 6 that Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. It says that they had been reduced to starvation. It says that this group of people called the Midianites, they were in the land that they were living in. They were, Israel had come out of Egypt, right? They had, they had finally crossed into the promised land. They had come into their promised land, but there were still some other people living in this land who did not serve our God, who served demons and other entities or wood and clay and rocks and stone and and regardless of what you think they were or what they looked like, and it doesn't really matter, it wasn't God. And so they were opposing God's people, but God uses some, some things sometimes. And he was using this, though, to get something out of them. He was using the time that they were in, which was a time of pressure against them. It says for seven years, seven years, they went into the hiding places. They, the Midianites would come and they would, as soon as they would plant their crops, they would come and destroy their crops. And it says they were left with nothing to eat. And then in verse five, it says the land was stripped bare. But it also says in verse six, that when they got to this place, there is a time in everyone's life, even if things are perfect in your life, if you are a believer, there is a moment upon moments, really. We were just talking about this this morning, just having this thought. If you are a believer, there is a moment where you cry out to God for a miracle. And that's why actually it's moments upon moments, because even when you get your own, as soon as you get the thing that you need in God, there's somebody else that you start crying out for. And if you are walking with God, then there will be a miracle that you need for for your own life, for your business, for your family, for your nation, for the world. There is something that you're crying out for 
to God. And it says that the pressures had gotten to them, the things of the world, the things of their environment. I was meditating on this and meditating on this and meditating on this and trying to, to you know, get to how did this happen? Because you have this up and down in the Bible. You have they love God, they serve God, they serve themselves. They serve their own desires. They love God, they serve Him, they serve themselves. And you have this roller coaster through. And it's just like today. We have a world, 1950s, we had some great revivals. And that was, the, you know, some of the most recent ones in this nation. We went across this nation. And, and then we have the 60s right after, right? So it's just, this is, it's not a new thing. This is, it's, it's an old thing, the up and down. We have a move of God, and then we have a move of the enemy. But what will happen is, see, the move of the 50s came because of the Great Depression, Right? We had the 30s and the 40s, and we had the world wars, and then it was like, we need God. We need God, and people cried out. And so you find that this is not a, it's not a new story, the one we're facing. It's an old story, but nonetheless, the things in your life, whether it's your own personal life or just your environment, just the world itself, gets to you, and you cry out to the Lord for help. That's the answer. There is no other answer. God is looking for a people to cry out to him. And it says that when they cried out to him, you find in verse 11, God is faithful. When you cry out to him, God answers every time. It may not come in the way or as quickly as you'd like it, but it's coming. Your answer is coming. When you get to the place where you have had enough of your situation, you've had enough, and you cry out to God, He will bring an answer. And what I want to talk to you about today, starting from here, is that as that answer comes, I want to say never, but I won't say never. I'll say it will almost never come in the way you want it, like it, expect it, when you like it, want it, expect it, or where you like it, want it, expect it. But God will answer you. And those that believers here that have seen him come through, you know that. And in fact, I've preached on that in the past. That's what actually should happen when you start crying out for him for another miracle in your life. There should be this encouragement, this fire in you, this expectancy that grows in you because you saw him be faithful to you in the past. And so when you cry out to him, you cry out saying, I know that God has done this before. So they cry out to him. And what does it say? It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah. You know, this is what Oprah was named after. And they, they, she, the mother, her mother missed a letter, and that's where her name comes from, right there. That's the truth. I know I, I'm a storyteller, but that is actually a truth. It sounds like one of my lies, one of my playing. That's actually what happened. That's where her name comes from. But anyway, um, they sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Now, these names, why I'm, you know, I'm going to pronounce them all off, but you guys get the point. But Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. You don't do that, by the way. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. It says he was doing it to hide the grain from the Midianites. 
The people cried out and God says, I've got an answer. And the answer is hidden. The answer is within you. The answer is hiding. It's right there. He's coming. God will answer. And he'll find that hidden thing. (laughs) Or the hidden one in this case. And you may be that one. It may be a thing you need. It may be you that you need to come out of you. And it says in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now there is no mention of Gideon whatsoever before this. Why God calls him mighty hero here is between God and his and himself. I can't even say between God and Gideon because Gideon doesn't know what God's talking about either. God sees you. God sees the answer in ways that we don't. He sees beyond you. You see suffering. You see, I need a miracle. He sees the answer. He sees differently. He calls it as it is before it is. And he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And we're going to just keep going through these, Mariah. Verse 13, sir, Gideon replied. He doesn't know it's the Lord yet. Calls him, sir. He says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And the phrasing here is actually, he's actually mocking. He's actually being sarcastic. He's actually saying, if the Lord's with us, then why has all this happened to us? And it says, and where are all the miracles? If the Lord is with us, where are all the miracles? Our ancestors told us about, didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. When we come to the Lord and we cry out to him and he comes with your answer, the first thing that you will do, remember, he, this is just a, this is a guy hiding out like we all do sometimes. We, can, we hide from <laughs> Hide from God. We've all been there. And he comes and finds you. And the first thing that we say to the Lord is, but, if, where, why. You know, the Lord never gets on his case about this. The Lord is not surprised by your questioning. He's not surprised that you are confused. He's not surprised that you don't know how it's possible. He's not surprised that you're wondering where God is. God's not surprised by that. And God's not offended by you questioning him. What he is offended at, I want to just, you know, make a dash right there. If this were in writing, you'd have a dash. So, well, this before you guys throw me out of the building. Verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. God's not surprised or condemning for you to question him. 
Where we start offending God is when you cry out for an answer. You cry out for a miracle. And he starts bringing it. You can ask the question, I don't, you can say, I don't get it. You can go like Jesus and pray three times, knowing full well, as I preached last week, he said what he was going to do before he did it. He told his disciples, this is what's going to happen to me. But he still went and prayed before the Lord three times that if it could pass for me, please, Lord, not once, three times. He's not surprised by that, but... What will offend God is if we get stuck in the questioning. And this is really why I really I wanted to get to this part two of thy will be done. God's will be done. Not my will, your will be done. It's not offensive to God to question him. What is offensive is that we can't get over our questioning. I wonder how God could do it all the time. I, we, we start asking God for something in our lives, and I have no idea. I'm thinking of the buts. We start trying to work it out this way. You start trying to work it out that way. <laughs> That's what we do. But then you have to come to this place, as we're going to see Gideon does. I can't help it. I got to get ahead of myself because I can't leave you hanging there. You get to the point, the place where you say, thy will be done. I don't care that I don't understand. You do, your God. And we see in verse 15, he says, But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. Paul got this in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians. He says, when I am weak, I am strong. Paul got this, what we're talking about here. He says, I'm weak, I'm the least, I'm the smallest, I'm a nobody, Excuses, 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 buts, hows, wheres, wins. And the Lord says, I will be with you. You cry out to the Lord, the only thing you need to worry about is that God will be with you. That's it. You can question, you can wonder. But you have to come to the place where that ends. Where you believe that he's going to be with you. And it says in verse 17, Gideon replied, If you are truly, wow, he's questioning still. <laughs> he's still questioning. If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. And he, the Bible, we don't, we're not going to continue. I'll just tell you. So what he does is he prepares an offering. He brings it before the Lord. He lays it on the rock. And the Lord touches it with his staff. And cons fire comes out, consumes the offering. And he knows that this is God. And at this point, Gideon realizes this is the Lord. This is not just an angel. 
God is, has come to me and God's got an answer. And now he has a choice to make. When you come to the wise in your life, the wise, you've got a choice to make. You can either choose to say, as many did, as crazy as it is, as we've, as I've, we've said before, you can read in your word, Judas walked with Jesus, saw the miracles. He saw the same thing as the other 11. When you come to the wise, but he had some wise that he couldn't figure out. He had some questions that he didn't like. When you come to those wise, you have to determine in yourself that they're not enough, though, to keep you from trusting God. It's fine that there, as the, there's an old saying, it's fine that it's passing through your mind. You can't stop the birds from flying over, but you can keep them from nesting, right? It's fine. You find the story, all the ones that walked most intimately with God, they had conversations like this with God, all of them. They all questioned, <laughs> they all wondered, they all reasoned with God. But at the end of the day, God says, I'm with you, now go. And some of the men and women of God, he did make some provisions for them. He did create, a, uh, Moses comes to him, I can't speak, I'm stuttering, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And he says, fine, you can take your brother Aaron, he'll speak for you. And the Lord did move on his behalf, right? So there is, a, the, this is not just a one-time thing. Those that really walked with God did reason with him. But for the most part, he still doesn't stop. His, his end game is that you got to go to Pharaoh and you got some things to say and that's it. He doesn't relent on that. And if Moses wasn't going to do it, then God would raise up somebody who will. That's it, plain and simple. But so Gideon is asking the Lord if, and now he's got, he's got it. He put out, a test, and he knows that God is asking him to do something, that God's giving an answer. At this point in your life, when God starts to show the answer, when God starts to do some things in you, the worst thing to do now would be to keep questioning God. Now he needs to be sure. Now he needs to be firm. So it says that that very night, the same exact night, now the Lord's like, fine, now you know who I am. I've got something for you to do. And it says in verse 25, it says, That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, and pull down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole. Now these were, both of these, Baal and Asherah, these were some of those demon gods that the foreign nations were worshiping. Now, God had proven himself to this people time and time and time again. Even Judges, up to chapter 6, it's many years actually, even just in those short chapters, generations, and he had proven himself even to these people. But time and time again, as we do, human nature, we remember God when we need him and we forget him when we don't. That's just human nature. And we can't put that on them. We can be shocked, but we all do it even just in day to day. When things go great, we put God on the shelf. When things are going rough, we grab him off the shelf and we, we need you, God. We cry out to him. Now, he is incredibly gracious and merciful and is willing to work with our humanity, even though if we were God, a lot of us would be a lot shorter on that fuse, wouldn't we? <laughs> but he says, there's some demon worship, there's some foreign gods, there's some things in between you and I. There's some things in your father's house, there's some things you grew up with. 
there's some things in your life that I need to get rid of. Don't be surprised when once the Lord shows himself to you, once the Lord starts bringing, you start crying out to him. Don't be surprised that the Lord will not come right then and start dealing with some things in you. Don't be surprised. You start crying out to God. He'll bring your miracle. Your miracle's coming. But to get to your miracle, sometimes there's some things that have been built up. All that these were, in fact, the Asherah pole, believe it or not, is in Washington, D.C. The monument. We have these all over the world, actually, these poles. They're just, we, they're called high places, and they're just, you know, de demonic symbols of um, pointing to the sky and the stars and whatever, and without getting into a huge thing about that. These were gods. These were things that's, that they worshipped instead of the true God. And, you know, what is our nation today? What are the gods of this nation? What are their gods? What are they worshipping? They're not named as much like this, but we could name some like Hollywood is a god in this nation. Electronics. Right? The older generation can't stand these things in our pockets, right? <laughs> right, Jimmy? This thing can be a God, and we can do it unknowingly. You're on that thing or whatever that is in your life, or you could be, as I'll put myself in there, you can be addicted to your hobby, right? I'm not going to name one because I have many. You can be addicted to that thing, and you got something in between you and God. There is something, and the Lord, the first thing he'll do, you start crying out to him, you start seeking for that miracle, you start praying for someone. What the Lord's going to do is he's going to start to show you some things that need to go. There's some things that need to go in your life, and you have to commit. It's going to cost you something, because it says that when he did it, he listened. So you remember all that questioning? And then God says, okay, I'm God. Gideon gets it. Okay, God, you're God, and he's obedient. He was willing, just you need to prove yourself God, but okay, now I've got it. And I think that, you know, everyone in here, God has proven himself to us so many times that once he proves himself to you, then once he, sh once he says, I want that out of your life, when you're unwilling to give it to him, there's not much more that God can do. There comes a place where once he's shown you who you are and who he is, that you then have to do what he's asking you to do. And your miracle's right on the other side. It's not a works thing. It's that these things are in between you and God and they need to be sacrificed. It says that he took them, he tore them down from his father's house. And it says that he built an altar and he burnt it. He burnt those things. And that's why you'll hear me say many times, some of you understand what I mean, some maybe don't. Now you know, right here. So I always say, bring it to the Lord, put it on the altar. I take my life and I put it on his altar. I take my idols and the things that I want and my desires and my plans and my purposes, as he did here, and I put it on the altar. Now I'm doing it, I'm doing it in my heart. This was a physical thing. There was a physical thing that represented what we can do in our heart. And he burnt it. And it says that he did it at night because he was afraid. And I thought this would be such a freeing message for us for getting God's will. It's not a heavy thing. I'm not going to just tell you, you need to listen to God and that's it. Because it's hard. 
because everything around you says that God isn't real. Well, I mean, to us, everything around us says he's real, but everybody in their whole system you live in says that God isn't real and that this is a waste of time. Just go live for yourself, live for your pleasures, have fun, get rich or die trying. That's what the world says. And he was afraid. It's okay to be afraid to follow God. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to question. God never condemns him in this whole story once for these feelings and these emotions. But even though he was afraid, it says, so Gideon did as the Lord had commanded. Now he was afraid, but he did it anyway. Francesca Battistelli, you've heard a lot of her hits on Christian radio. Her mother used to tell her all the time when she was a little girl, before she was famous, before she was a professional Christian artist as she is today, do it anyway. If you're afraid, then be afraid, but still do it. Just do it afraid. And I thought that was such amazing wisdom. It's okay to have the fear, but you take that fear. It doesn't go away. This is the thing that when, when somebody is trying to get past a fear, they, feel, they think that if they overcome themselves enough that the fear will go. The fear doesn't go. What happens is you just do it anyway. The fear never leaves. And I had told you guys about that free fall device down in, um, in Virginia Beach. It didn't go. And I still have fear thinking about that thing. But you just do it. You just jump. At some point, you just do it. You can question, you can wonder. The fear is still there. And then you say, you know what? I just gotta go. I just gotta trust you, God. It's not the fear is all of a sudden evaporated, but I believe you. And then it says early the next morning, verse 28, the people of the town began to stir and they realize that this thing had been broken down. They realized what he had done. And it says in verse 30, bring out your son to Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. You start following God. You start trusting God. You start holding on to the miracle. He starts dealing with you. And now you think, man, this is awesome. I was afraid. I questioned but I'm letting it go. I'm trusting God. I'm, I'm walking with God. What an amazing thing. And the very first thing that will happen is opposition will come. The very first thing, when you lay it all down, you will be called out. They came to him and says, he must die for this. Isn't that amazing? Who's been there? Who's been in a place where God starts doing a work in you and you're all excited? Man, the devil... He's bringing, he gets a five-gallon pail of black oil, right, Jim? Dumps it right on your driveway. <laughs> he'll, take the, he'll take that water, man. He'll try to rain on your parade. Who thinks, without reading on, that the Lord defended him here? Who can imagine that God was on his side without me reading it? Is God going to let him? And if he did die, do you think that his death would have been in vain? Can it, is it possible in God for even death itself to be in vain? Don't you think that he would be then seated in one of the highest places of heavens for, for being a martyr for God, right? There is no such thing as you going through, you facing anything. There's no such thing as God not 
Is God failing you? Is God not coming through for you? There's no such thing. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. When the word says something, God means it. And it's exactly what happens. The father stands in his place. Now the father, it's possible that the father was even a priest for these things, for these gods. Because why was it in his father's house? And why did the whole village care about the father's house? Like why? It was in his father's house and the village now noticed. So it's possible that even his father was a priest of this thing, but, the, but his father realizes, hey, you know what? These things, if they were truly gods, let them defend themselves. Don't kill them. Let them defend themselves. And as we can imagine, they had no power over our God, did they? And that was the end of that story. And in fact, it says from then on, Gideon was called Jerubel which means let Baal defend himself. When you stand up for God, when God starts, when you cry out to him, he starts working a miracle and then he starts cleaning house and you're walking with him and the miracle's coming and answers are coming and then the enemy comes and tries to rise up against you. When you have done what God has asked you to do, what God will do is those things those entities, those powers, the rulers of this world, the kingdoms of this world, we can see and it's explained better in the New Testament, such as Ephesians 6, that these things are below what God puts on us. He armors you and clothes you with something more powerful than any force of hell that tries to set itself against you. And uh, it says right into 33, soon afterward... The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel. You know what? What happened is, is this God, these gods obviously don't defend themselves. And, I, and I'm reading between the lines here. I think they realized, you know what? This guy Gideon has got something. And now we've got these forces coming against us. Now they're, they're coming and they formed an alliance and it says they crossed the Jordan and they're about to wage war on Israel. And I believe at this point they realize that this guy Gideon's got something from God. The answer's coming. And it says that the spirit of the Lord in verse 34, it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. It clothed Gideon with power and he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms and the men of the clan of Abizer, Abizer came to him. It says in verse 36, then Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it. This guy's still asking questions. Now, what I wanted to show you in this story was is that just because you stood your ground and you came through something with God and just because you got a partial answer to your miracle doesn't mean that you're still not going to be questioning as it unfolds. There's more. He got a partial miracle. There was some things in him that got cleaned up. 
some things got done, some things got established, some things that God needed to establish in Gideon and through Gideon had been done. And now Gideon was called by the town Jerubal. He was renamed. There was something in him that after he had done it, there was a partial miracle. God was already working. He's already establishing something here. He's already doing something in you and through you. But doesn't mean that you still won't come to questioning with God. In my years walking with the Lord, I question him every step of the way. I just decide that the questions aren't worth me not listening. I decide that they are irrelevant. That I'm looking at water and people don't walk on water. But you said to do it. So I am afraid and I am asking questions but eventually, you just got to get out of the boat and do it. And that's what's happened here. But now, here he is again. He did that. And he's asking the Lord, if you are truly God, then prove it. And he does something that we call in Christianity, he put the fleece before the Lord. We say this phrase, it becomes Christianese. I'm going to put a fleece before the Lord. And what it was is he took a piece of fleece and he laid it out before the Lord. And he says, I just want you to, it's going to rain tonight. Or it's going to be, there's going to be dew tonight. And I want the, uh, the fleece to be wet and the ground dry. That's what I'm asking you, Lord. And then the Lord does it. So he says, okay, uh, you know, don't be mad at me. He says, verse 39, please don't be angry with me, but just one more request. Can now the fleece be dry and the ground wet. So God did as Gideon asked, verse 40, and the fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. I did want to put a clause in there for not just you, but anyone listening to this. You can't say to God, okay, God, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be rich one day, so my fleece is that I need to see a Ferrari outside when I go out there. You can't just put any test you want before the Lord. When the Lord starts showing himself to you, when the miracle starts coming and it's time to hold on, it's time to believe him, this is what you've been praying for. This is what you've been asking God for. And when it starts coming and he starts asking you to be obedient in that process, that's when Paul says, test the spirits. Put it before the Lord. Make sure it's right. When he starts telling you to do things on a path and plan that you've already been put on, God's already proven himself to, to him. He's already shown himself to him. So now he's like, I need to make sure. There's nothing wrong with that. I encourage you to do that. Don't just listen to what I say. Go read it in the word yourself. Go look through the scriptures and say, even what he preached, is that the truth? Is that, because as far as you know, Mariah and I, we, we got together this morning and we rewrote these words to make them sound like what we want. Obviously not. But the point is, test the Lord. Ask God. When you start being directed, you start being moved in that direction. He starts taking you down a path that you say, okay, God, I just need to know it's you. Gideon does it. The Bible says that God is not a favor of persons. That means that you and I are all the same. We all can have the same relationship that everyone in this Bible had. It doesn't mean we're all going to do the same things. It doesn't mean that we can get away with disobedience. But we can come to him and say, Lord, you did this for him. 
do it for me. But I just thought this would be freeing. I don't, maybe it's one person here. Maybe it's everyone here in the questioning. We all question. We all wonder during the process. When the miracle is still in the process, we all wonder. But what he does is the Lord shows himself. And, he, and it may not be in a way that you even put a fleece out. He may just prove himself to you beforehand. He may tell you, you don't need a fleece because I've shown you about a hundred times that this is my plan. He said that to me before. Stuff like that. Do I really need to prove myself? Because that would be kind of mockery to me, Adam. In this taste. Now, sometimes it's a brand new thing. It's a fresh thing. So what do you do? You wait <laughs> and you just let God show you. And he will. If it's God, he's going to show you. If it's not, he won't. Plain and simple. And so we come into chapter seven and there's so much of the story. So I don't want to you know, give you guys the entire story. Um, just to wrap it up, what happens is now is he comes into chapter seven as... Um, uh, somewhat of a leader. Basically, the people realize that this guy's got something, that God's answer is coming. It doesn't make sense. The miracle's coming. And it says that in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 1, that Gideon and his army, they got up early and they went out. They go out and they're, they're going to do what the Lord says. And in verse 2, it says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Wouldn't it be funny if this verse is because Gideon questioned the Lord so much? Is it possible? All the questioning, now God's like, okay, it's fine that you question me, but I think I really need to prove that I'm God. Let me just drive it home that I'm God. Now, I, it doesn't say that. I'm reading between the lines here, but it sounds like God says, okay, Gideon, that's fine that you have the questions, but I think it's time that you just know who I am. Sometimes God's got to do that. He says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. He says in verse three, therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Now remember, this is Gideon who was questioning and afraid. What do you think is going on in him right now? Now your miracle's coming. It's, it's about as clear as it can get. You are there. You've crossed lines that needed to be crossed. It says that he got up and he went. You're there. You're believing God. You're in this thing. Your miracle's right over there, and now it's time just to believe God. But now God starts doing things that don't make sense. Who's been there? Who has been believing God and trusting Him? And if you haven't been there, and you're in that place now, that's what's happening to you. It's not going to make sense. <laughs> it doesn't. He doesn't need to. He's God we're not. That's in that song as well. She says, I came to the place, I'm going to paraphrase that line, but I just, I've come to the place where I realize that he's God and I'm not. That's what happens. So, but anyway, in verse three, we find that now there's only 10,000, but verse four, that's not enough for God. God says, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. And it says, when Gideon took his warriors down to the water, 
It says the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those men who cup the water in their hands and they lap it up like, uh, with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. And only 300 men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. So the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Now, they made a movie a few years ago called 300. This was, that was a knockoff, by the way. This was the original 300 right here. 300 men. 300 men against an army that said that they were so ruthless that they were hiding in caves. That they came, every time they grew something, they destroyed it. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. And now the Lord tells him, I'm going to send you with these 300 men. But here's the key. When God says, I will rescue you and give you victory, you better hold on. That's it. At that point, you got to get your mind in control. You're going to have the emotions and the questions and the feelings and the wonderings. But at this moment, you just got to believe God. You got to hold on and say, God, okay. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns and other warriors and sent them home, but he kept the 300 men with him. And it says the Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. And that night, the Lord said, get up, arise, go down to the Midianite camp for I have given you victory. What did God say? I have given you victory. Your miracle is right over there. You've been praying. You've been believing. I did some things in you. I established you. Don't forget. I proved myself to you. I've shown myself to you. I've done the fleece. I've done that. I've, come, I've been in this place with God where he has made it abundantly clear. But now is really, really hard to trust him. Because this moment doesn't make sense. But it says, go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. And I love verse 10. This picture is such a picture of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's an Old Testament story, but it was the said the Spirit of God was upon him. This is God. Just free yourself. If you've been struggling, if you've been wondering, if you've been saying to God, I'm trying to believe you, and you've been having some victories, and you've been coming through miracles, but now you're in a place where you're like, God, I want to believe you. It's just hard for me. Well, that's exactly what happens for Gideon. He says, if you are afraid, that's the key right there. So he says, if you are afraid, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Pura. Next verse. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Purah and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. What does that mean? Go back up to verse 10. If you are afraid, go down to the camp. Verse 11. So Gideon took Purah and went down to the, to the camp. What does that mean? 
Gideon was afraid. He was afraid. God is not surprised when you are afraid in the process of your miracle, when you're confused during your miracle. He's not surprised when you're believing God and you're trusting him and you're saying, this doesn't make sense. He's not surprised when your mind says, this is insanity. This is impossible. God's not surprised. What he will do, though, out of his grace and his mercy, if you listen, if you listen, he says, go down and listen, I'll encourage you that you can do this. You have to listen. It's there. It's, he is always speaking. The Holy Spirit is never quiet. He is always encouraging us. If we'll listen, verse 12. And the armies of Midian and Amalek and all the people of the east, they settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts, and their cannibals were like the grains of sand. 300 men, by the way. <laughs> 300 men. And he saw a valley like a swarm of locusts, and their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. This is an impossible thing, but the Lord says, if you'll listen, you'll know that you can do this. It looks impossible. You're saying this will never happen. This person will never get saved. I'll never get through this victory. I'll never be free. And these things are rolling through your mind. And right now, the Lord's about to help him. He says in verse 13, So Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, and it hit a tent and turned it over and knocked it flat. In verse 14, his companion answered, Your dream can mean only one thing. The enemy is aware. Your enemy is fully aware. Just like Baal, God had to prove himself. God proved himself on a very small scale. It was, it was big in the moment. Do you remember when I read a few minutes ago when it was big in that moment and they all said, we're going to kill you? Well, now he's got just not a little city, not a little village, more camels than sand on the seashore, too many to count, but... What they don't know is that Gideon's listening. Your enemy, who's trying to keep you crushed down, is trying to keep that loved one unsaved, who's trying to keep that miracle from you, he's got no power over you. You cry out to God, your answer's coming. You cry out to the Lord, your miracle is coming. God has given Gideon. They know it. They're saying your name behind the scenes. The enemy is saying your name behind the scenes. They're saying, Fran, your answer is coming. Son of Joash, the Israelite, God's going to give him victory over Midian and all its allies. It says in verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and he shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. Did he get that with his eyes? Because he said he saw too many to count and he went back to his measly, tiny, small, and possible 300 men 
and said, get up, arise, for the Lord has given you victory. And God gave him a strategy. The 300 men, he puts a lantern and a torch inside of a clay pot. They all come up, they surround the enemy camp just after midnight and it says that they drop them suddenly. The, the people in the camp are so afraid that they jump up and they kill each other. And then it says that whoever didn't, wasn't killed by their own swords, it says in verse 22, that they fled away. But that's not enough. Now Gideon's like, man, we've got this. Once God starts showing you some things, once your miracle comes, there's something, the reason God's willing to put you through all of that, he's okay with your questioning, is because, man, once you see God move in your life, now he goes down, he gets the other men. Now the other men are allowed to join. He goes and gets Ephraim and he gets some of the other men and they go and they pursue them. They go after him. Now he's like, man, God is with us. And they go and destroy everybody they can find. Every single one they can find, they go and kill. What an amazing story of someone who surrenders his will, who believes God. Thy will be done. It's okay to question. It's okay to wonder. But where the devil wants to trap you is he wants to keep you in that place of questioning and wondering. At some point, it won't leave. You will be afraid. But you just say, thy will be done. Esther said, if I die, I die. She came to a place where, God, what can I do? I just have to trust you. You're God. Your answer, your miracle is coming. Maybe you're in that first place of just crying out to him. You have to know right now that it's coming. Maybe you are right at the end. Hold on. Hold on. Regardless of where you're at and how you got where you're at, it doesn't matter. None of those details matter. Because there's one common theme here, and it's trusting God, believing Him, even though it's never going to make sense. I said almost never, but I'm going to say never. It's never going to make sense to your human mind. But you believe Him anyway. And if you'll listen, He'll encourage you along the way, doesn't He, Annie? He brings constant encouragements, doesn't He? And it's only one step at a time. He doesn't do the whole thing. He didn't take Gideon right down, he did some things along the way, but God was training him, teaching him, showing him, and the miracle was growing and getting greater until it was huge, until they finally, here's little Gideon hiding out in a wine press, and you know what the next verses say? It says that they said, let's make you our king. This guy, little Gideon, who was afraid, who questioned God, who made God prove himself to him. Now all of a sudden, the people are saying, let's make you our king. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you for every single person here. And Lord, as always, those that aren't here that are part of this flock, we thank you, God, for each and every one of them. We together, Lord, all of us, we link, Lord, in prayers together, Lord. We thank you that you hear us. We thank you, Lord, that you are listening to us. Now, Lord, teach us, help us to hear you. I pray, Lord, that each and every person, Lord, in this room or outside this place, Lord, would hear right now just one word of encouragement, one word of encouragement to tell us that you're with us, to keep holding on, that the answer's coming, that your miracle's coming, that God is God and he's gonna come through for you. And it may be seven years. It may have been oppression that you've been facing, but God will conquer it. God will crush it. God will finish that thing. And it's not gonna be in the way we get it, the way we wanna see it, but I thank you, Lord, that you will do it. And we just pray in Jesus' name that every single voice of the enemy that's risen up that says you must die, every voice that's risen up to put extra pressure during their miracles, Lord, on them, I thank you, Lord, that they must bow. I thank you, Lord, those things are burned, every idol, everything in between that's keeping us, that's keeping those, Lord, that we're praying for. I thank you, Lord, we're laying all that stuff down on the altar and burn it up. Thank you, Lord, that you are God. Keep showing yourself strong. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.